3: Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz. He's getting ready to join us uh, in a matter of minutes. And by Congressman Michael Waltz, former Green Beret guy who was a chief assistant to Vice President Dick Cheney, will be weighing in very tight with the President of the United States. And by the way, no one's talking about this. Joe Biden's got this huge plan, right? He's got all this green technology he wants to roll out. He wants to spend a trillion dollars to retrofit buildings. Congratulations. Well, if we're out of money and you need money in the federal government, guess what's going to be uh, getting uh, hit? And squeezed the Pentagon, how these military leaders are voting for Joe Biden is beyond me. When you watch somebody, despite you not liking his demeanor and maybe some of his decisions, everything he does is go to go to bat to make sure our defense is strong and you get the money you need. It's just dumb. I watched General McChrystal, who I have more respect for than almost anyone on the planet, go and endorse Joe Biden. yet Today, what's he thinking? Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. We're not going to do a $2.2 trillion deal. Uh, The good news is the speaker has come down from her $3.4 trillion deal. If there's a fair compromise, we're prepared to do it.
3: Uh, There you go. Steve Mnuchin, COVID economy. Earlier this week, the Disney laid off 28,000 workers. Today, major airlines plan to furlough 30,000 workers with federal aid expires. However, the airlines have said they would reverse course if a deal could be reached. And I hope it can. It looks like the president's coming up. And it looks like Pelosi's coming down. We'll let you know.
5: Number two.
6: On D.C. and Puerto Rico, particularly if Puerto Rico votes Mm -hmm. for it, love to make them states. Okay. And as for the filibuster... Everything, everything is on the table.
3: Do you hear what's just going on here? if If Joe Biden wins and they win the Senate, this country changes forever. Chuck Schumer just told you that. It's the Supreme Court. Well, Amy Coney Barrett is on the fast track to getting confirmed. I'll talk to Senator Cruz about that in a second. And now we get a warning from the senator that they're going to pack the court Add two states, maybe even expand the House, and get hold on to a permanent majority.
7: Number one. Biden was flailing and failing, and the president didn't let it sink in, so the American people would have said, wow, Biden really is withholding the information about who he's going to name to the court, and about whether Joe Biden would block or sign into law expansion of the court to pack the court. This is what we need to hear from Joe Biden.
3: And and we won't answer the question. And that's unacceptable. 33 days and one debate done. We will look at the aftermath. uh, 33 days to the election, I should add. Uh, We'll we'll talk about the aftermath of the mistake by the lake in Cleveland as the reflections and ramifications of the 90-minute verbal slugfest continue to pour in. It's pretty clear the president's aggression allowed Biden to skate by prompting cries of format changes before round two. Uh, Is that overboard? Joining us now, a guy who's a fantastic debater uh, all throughout his career, Senator Ted Cruz, who's got a brand-new book out. It is racing up the charts. It's called One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. And, Senator, I feel so unproductive. During COVID, you you wrote this when we were shut down, right?
5: (laughs) I I did. This this spring and summer, I sat in the living room with my laptop and, and decided to write the book. Uh, It was a story that needed to be told, and and, uh, the timing I planned to come out right before the election, I I didn't realize at the time that we would have a Supreme Court vacancy and be be in the midst of an epic battle in Washington uh, to fill it. So it has proven, I think, especially timely. it
3: Senator, when we looked at the battle for the Kavanaugh seat, everyone, you know, we'll go talk about the high school yearbook. You hear how many questions started. What did you mean when you signed the yearbook? Uh, Talk about ralphing. What is ralphing? When you rented that uh, bus and went to Fenway Park, was there beer on the bus? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. In your research, have we ever gone through something as juvenile as that? And talk about the Kavanaugh hearing, of course.
5: You know, it it was ugly, and and it, and it really was. It had become the theater of the absurd. Uh, the Democratic base demands that 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 they go after any Republican nominee. But but what they did to Kavanaugh was ridiculous. And you know, he had two young daughters sitting behind him, listening to them drag him through the mud, drag his character through the mud. Uh, you know, they began to to surface these fantastical allegations. Um, of, you know, wild parties in high school that, in D.C. that have no, no basis in anything, but, but they would just – they would repeat them. I, I think it reached the point of idiocy when Cory Booker stepped forward and had his I am Spartacus moment, uh, which, which was clearly much more about presidential politics in Iowa than actually doing your job on the Judiciary Committee. And, and, and given that and, – and by the way, this is not the first time they've done that – they did it to Robert Bork before that. They did it to Clarence Thomas before that. They did it to Sam Alito before that. And I fully expect them to try uh, with anything they can find. I, I met with Judge Barrett a couple of days ago, and I somewhat tongue-in-cheek told her they're looking right now for somebody in third grade who has something mean to say about you.
3: Senator, I actually thought, and I didn't get to the president. He was on with us last week on this show— I actually thought I was saying, are you sure she wants this? I, I didn't know. After the Kavanaugh situation, and knowing that she's a mom of seven, already has a great job and a lot of respect, number one in Notre Dame, would you blame someone to say, skip me?
5: Well, look, it would be a perfectly reasonable decision for someone to make, and, and, and it is you are putting your life into a a blender, and and you're subjecting your kids. I actually, when, when she and I talked that was something we talked about that is, is I was talking to her. She has seven kids, including a number who are quite young. And, and I was really just talking to her about how her kids were holding up with, with you know, yep. everything that was happening. I mean, yeah, a month ago, she had a quiet life in Indiana. She was a law professor. She was a federal judge. But, you know, walking down the street, nobody would recognize her. And suddenly she's in the midst, I mean, the glaring light and, and the attacks, and one of the things I told her, which, which I think gave her comfort, I said, look, you, you, you need to know right now there, there are literally millions of Americans and people all over the world who are praying for you, who are praying for your family, who are lifting your family up, who are praying a hedge of protection around you. And, 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 and I'll tell you, she has, I, I believe, a real inner strength and, and inner peace. And we talked about it because I've got young kids. My girls are are 9 and 12, and and they've endured when when folks take shots at me, and and sometimes even at them, it's it's not easy for kids, and they didn't sign up for it. So I just try to talk to her a little bit about that and and how you make it through. But it's definitely – it is an ugly price of public service.
3: And you talk about one vote away, how this country could have been so different if a different judge uh, was there at a different time, if a different president wasn't there to nominate a different judge, and, and the different courses we've taken our country, which brings me to today. And I want to tell you this. This is not what Chuck Schumer is about to say is not a veiled threat. I actually think it's their game plan. They know they can't stop besides, you know, something, besides if something unforeseeable happens. They cannot stop uh, – amy coney barrett from being uh, an associate justice but if it happens this is what chuck schumer says is going to happen cut 28
6: on dc and puerto rico particularly if puerto rico votes for it dc already has voted for it and wants it i'd love to make them states okay and as for the filibuster i didn't i'm not busting my my chops to become majority leader to do very little or nothing we are going to get a whole lot done and as i've said everything everything is on the table
3: Senator, if if they take the White House and Senate and hold the House, is Chuck Schumer serious?
5: Deadly serious. Now they were going to do all of that before the Supreme Court vacancy. So this is not an escalation. This is is the fact that the hard left, the radical left, is driving the Democratic Party. So if they take the Senate, the first thing they do, I believe, will be ending the filibuster. They'll do it. They have the votes. They'll do it. It will be gone. What that means is the minority in the Senate can, can then no longer stop whatever radical agenda they're trying to force through. Um, the other thing he mentioned, statehood for the District of Columbia, statehood for Puerto Rico. I think that, that they will do that as well. And, and their reason is very simple. In, in their calculation, they believe uh, that they would elect four new Democratic senators. So that if we start in January, say, with 50 Democrats, their plan would be to end, end the year with 54 Democrats. And, and it's all about – it's a crass political calculation about entrenching their power. And, and the big threat uh, that all of that sets up is, is then packing the Supreme Court, increasing the number of justices in the court to 11 or to 13. And I think there is a very real possibility they would do that. I think, I think their extreme base wants it. You know, we had a Democratic president try in the past, FDR, and and at the height of his power and his own party, the Democrats told him, no, that was too far. That was politicizing the court. Brian, I don't think these Democrats today would say no. I think they would take that step, which would be incredibly destructive to the independence of the judiciary and the integrity of the court.
3: And the way I understand it, Senator, that when FDR did threaten to do that, maybe he didn't get it, but he got what he wanted because he threatened to do it.
5: Well, there, there's an old phrase that you learn uh, in law school uh, called the, the switch in time that saved mine, which, which is that the court had been ruling striking down a number of big New Deal programs as unconstitutional. FDR pushed his court packing plan, and one of the justices who had been voting to strike them down switched his position and began voting on the other side. And, and that's often referred to a, 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 as the switch in time that saved nine, because they say that's why the packing plan failed. I think it failed because the Democratic Party recognized it was abuse—an abuse of power. You don't have Democrats willing to say that anymore. There, there, there's really, when they're willing to smear and slime uh, families and small children, and when they're willing to to, to any any means are justified by the ends they're fighting of radical socialism and, and 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 that that's an unfortunate change in today's democratic party
3: Yeah. by the way senator ted cruz our guest great way to kick off this hour one vote away his name of his book how a single supreme court seat can change history so the president of the united states had debate you know what it's like to go against the president he uh, pulls no punches to the point where you guys weren't even speaking for a while and man that seems like a a long time ago but you've, you've uh, healed the wounds and you're working together. Uh, when you watched the president come out for 90 minutes as hot, he had over 100 interruptions. Joe Biden had a 67 uh, of the debate. What did the president do wrong?
5: Well, I think there was too much yelling and, and, and too much interrupting. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I work very, very closely with the president. In, in, in the book, One Vote Away, I, I talk at considerable length about the conversations the president and I have had about the Supreme Court, and, and in particular uh, about all three of the vacancies that, that have happened, the, the Gorsuch vacancy, the Kavanaugh vacancy, and this vacancy. And, and in all three instances, I told the president he, he raised and pressed with, with, with some seriousness whether I would accept the position on the court. And all three times I, I told him no, that I did not want to serve on the court, that I wanted to stay in the political fight. Uh, that I wanted to be doing what I'm yep. doing right now, which is leading the fight in the Senate to get Judge Barrett confirmed. Uh, but but that uh, that's one of the things the book does is take you inside those discussions, and and then it also takes you really inside the Supreme Court. Um, before I was a senator, my career was as a Supreme Court litigator, and so I, I I argued cases in front of the Supreme Court for a living. And so the book addresses the biggest constitutional rights we have, free speech, religious liberty, the Second Amendment, U.S. sovereignty, uh, elections and democracy, uh, and it takes you inside the big landmark cases, Uh, Bush versus Gore. I was part of the legal team uh, representing George W. Bush, and and, and it tells you the war stories. It tells you what was going on. It, 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 It brings them alive to you, and it's designed, Brian, so you don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a constitutional expert. But you can understand how on issue after issue after issue, our fundamental rights, the landmark cases were decided 5-4, um, which means we are one vote away from seeing those rights stripped away. And what the book does is really mm-hmm. underscore the stakes at the Supreme Court, but, but also in the 2020 election and also in, in the battle we are having right now and today over Judge Barrett, all of them. This book really helps you understand right. it in, in, I think, a clear, fun, readable way.
3: Senator lastly, I'm over time already, but do, do you think the president wins this election right now, October 1st?
5: I do, but I think it's very close. I think it is incredibly volatile. Um, both sides, you look at the debate that we had this week. I don't think either, either side moved. Uh, the left is enraged and energized. Every leftist in America is going to show up. They're going to have massive, massive turnout. The big question is, does everybody else show up? Uh, does the right show up? Do libertarians show up? Does the common sense middle show up? If the answer to those are yes, we win. And And what the left is trying to do is get people to say – well, yes, I'm, I may agree with some of the policies, but but I don't like this or that or the other about the president. I don't like what he tweets. I don't like I don't like that he interrupted at the debate. So, but, so maybe I'll just stay home. If people do that, that's how we wake up in the nightmare of a mm-hmm. Biden, Schumer, Pelosi government, and the damage right. those three would do in two years would exceed the damage Barack Obama did in eight years. And so I'm spending. Every waking day fighting right. to help the president get reelected, to hold our majority in the Senate, and to retake the House. And it's one of the reasons why I'm spending so much time telling people about the book, One Vote Away, because it really does help you understand that the stakes of this election are not just four mm. years, they're 40 years and 100 years, and, and the rights that, that we have, gotcha. our kids and grandkids have.
3: Senator, thanks so much. Congratulations. One vote away is out there. It's top 10 on Amazon right now. It's likely to stay. Uh, Senator, thank you.
5: Appreciate it. God bless.
3: You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. That story. We got more. And then Michael Waltz right after that. Don't move.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: I'm not just running against Joe Biden, I'm running against the corrupt far-left media socialists and communists in the Democrat Party and the special interests who've made a living bleeding our country dry, and that's what's happened for too long. We've turned it around, but don't forget, when they turned it around, I had to fight other things, like a fake impeachment. I had to fight a lot of things that are not like that wasn't in the
3: uh, agenda. So just fascinating to look back at the debate. The president was extremely
9: Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio.
7: Daily analysis and news. He is
3: hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while
9: you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe,
3: and
7: share.
3: I sensed it was really four years, four years of, thinks thinks unfair attacks. And Joe Biden was behind it. When he looks at Joe Biden, he sees Barack Obama. And he sees the fact that he won. Uh, Obama's humiliated because he did it. He's undone a lot of the uh, Biden-Obama agenda. And he hears the attacks that are coming at him, sees that the press is against him, sees a lot of things that he's doing. They're out of his control. For example, the frustration of having this great economy and country and this horrible— uh, virus coming in here and destroying so many lives, killing over 200,000 Americans and, of course, destroying the economy. And he's just so ticked off. And he looks at Biden, my sense, and says, this guy's not worthy. He is not on his A game, number one. And number two, he was never great. In the 80s, he was rejected. In 2000, he was rejected. And in 2008, he was rejected. He has no business on this stage with me. But the president's got to keep it in check. We see it every day in sports. The president's a big sports guy, so he should understand that. If they do have a debate, number two, uh, I think he'll let Joe Biden try to explain himself. And I think that could have other uh, persuadables persuading his direction. But it's really hard to predict this cycle. I don't know if you've noticed. Michael Waltz next.
8: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: I don't know who the Proud Boys are. I mean, you'll have to give me a definition because I really don't know who they are. I can only say they have to stand down, let law enforcement do their work.
10: So, Mr. President, did you misspeak when you said stand by? That's my, my first
1: question. You Just stand by. Look, law enforcement will do their work. They're going to stand down. They have to stand down. Everybody. They have to stand, whatever group you're talking about. That's
3: the President of the United States trying to clarify what he meant by Proud Boys. But I believe when he said what white supremacist group, they said Proud Boys. He said Proud Boys, stand down, stand back. Uh, and now they printed up a T-shirt saying the president likes them. Where I saw one report this morning, um, and they talked about how the leader of the Proud Boys actually is a Spanish, uh, is Hispanic, and said in, it did a interview with the Spanish speaking station and said they they're not even voting for President Trump, so they're not even his group, but just uh, to me, an unforced error. Just I reject white supremacy. That's like saying I'm against evil. It's an easy question. Uh, the president got got the whole party in, in a bit of a bind. Senator Tim Scott asked about it. Tom Tillis has asked about it. Joni Ernst has asked about it. Uh, of course, they reject white supremacists, but they don't want to get on the wrong side of the president, who also rejects it but didn't say it. Joining us now, Congressman Michael Waltz. Congressman, do you think the president should just clarify those remarks today and make it easier on you guys?
9: Well, let me be clear, Brian. I reject white supremacists <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, that's it. He was asked that by Chris Wallace. He said yes. Uh, Look, if he has to make it clear, uh, make it clear, Uh, but let's move on. I think you're right. This is a total distraction. I think the media and the Biden campaign wants it to be a distraction, Uh, but from my perspective, I think the rejection needs to be across the board, and what I liked about the president's answer that that you just played was both sides need to reject extremists on all sides. And, uh, you know, not to pivot here to the Biden campaign, but but I thought his lack of rejection of Antifa, who was actually out on the streets, causing violence as we speak, uh, was was also notable. But, of course, the media doesn't want to focus on that.
3: Yeah. In fact, here's the
9: president yesterday. The president rejects it. uh, And and let's let law enforcement do its work, which the Biden campaign also wouldn't fully emphasize. And the vice president wouldn't really even stay. Uh, law enforcement needs to do their job and our elected officials in the in the cities in particular need to support them in doing so. And a lot of liberal uh, D.A.s are, are running these kind of catch and release programs. That's making it impossible for our police officers to do their
3: job. Oh, Absolutely. New York led the charge there. It's sickening. But um, but Congressman. The president did get a jujitsu on him somehow because Antifa is the problem. Riots are the problem. These groups that came in, they come in late. After 100 plus days in Portland, the group pushed back because cops weren't allowed to push forward. Here's the president. Cut six.
1: Antifa is a real problem because the problem is on the left. And Biden refuses to talk about it. He refuses to issue the words law and order. You saw that last night when he choked up. He can't say the words because he'll lose the rest of the left. So uh, he's got to condemn Antifa. Antifa is a very bad group.
3: But, you know, Biden was right. Christopher Ray did say Antifa is an ideology, which I don't get.
9: Yeah, I, I, look, I don't get that either. If they're loosely organized, they're still organized. If you have localized cells burning down businesses, looting, rioting and causing anarchy, Fine. If it doesn't have a single leader, I mean, there's there are loose kind of confederation or groups uh, all, all over the world. That doesn't make them any less of a threat. So I don't get Chris Ray on all kinds of issues uh, that we could spend another hour uh, on that. But I don't get him on this either. And I have sent a letter to Attorney General Barr really wanting to get behind the funding. Brian, you know, as a Green Beret, I've dealt with these kind of insurgent groups all over the world. And there's too much commonality and too much organization in terms of their training, their tactics, their procedures, how they communicate, how they're funded. Uh, Look, I I just I think the the FBI director is wrong in that account. I don't get it. Uh, But they are the ones out in the streets. Meanwhile, the president has labeled the KKK as a terrorist organization, He's come back around and said he rejects these extremist groups, but I'm focused on the one that is actually hurting Americans as we speak. Uh, Look, there's going to be a bill on the floor today uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives uh, condemning QAnon and some of these other groups, but they refuse. The Democrats that I've been talking to refuse to put Antifa in there. And uh, I, I just don't understand it. We need to all as elected leaders be rejecting all of these extremist groups and supporting law enforcement, backing the blue and doing their job.
3: I hear you, uh, Congressman, 100 uh, percent, especially when we watch these operations. We see the radios in their ears. We see the pallets of bricks being dropped off. We see cars being pulled up and bats being pulled out. We see central locations where people show up to the back of U-Hauls. We know these people are from out of town. We know when they get debriefed, they are saying that they're part of Antifa. They have that same look, 20-somethings, wiry, and, and they show up. They're not there for black and white issues, and I'm talking about race black and white issues.
9: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and again, follow the money. I want to know who is funding. I don't buy, Brian, that a bunch of Starbucks baristas who, you know, got a degree in basket weaving uh, are having this level of organization and this level of, of effectiveness from their perspective in causing anarchy and chaos in the streets. Uh, and, uh, and I think uh, the DOJ and the FBI need to get the bottom of it, need to go after it and shut it down.
3: All right. So, Congressman, you have so many different things we could talk about. But the one thing you want to talk about uh, is this House China Task Force. Uh, you released a detailed policy blueprint to counter the growing global threat of China everywhere we go, yeah. especially after this virus. They're trying to capitalize on the carnage they, they cost the, the world.
9: Yeah, right. It's like, it's like the arsonist profiting off the fire that they started. Look, like, I think we need a wake up call in this country. Uh, much like we had with the uh, like, with the Soviet Union in the late 40s and early 50s on the threat that we face and the infiltration that has occurred in the United States. And don't take this from us or the China Task Force. Read President Z, Chairman Z, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party's own words. That they want to supplant the American dream with the China dream—a new world order where China calls the shots and we don't—and they're doing it by stealing their way to the top through cyber theft, through our universities, uh, and and through buying up uh, key American technologies uh, by buying the businesses that are now bankrupt in large part uh, because of because of COVID. Uh, What I like about this task force is that it represented – it went from the financial sector to labor to visas Mm -hmm. with the 400,000 students that are coming in, the military. What was sad, Brian, is that it was bipartisan until the day before we launched, and Pelosi pulled the Democrats from it. This should not be a political issue. This is an American issue, and this is about our values versus theirs.
3: Uh, That's sickening. But let's talk about something positive I think, people listening right now, and that is the the latest rescue package. Mnuchin and Pelosi have been meeting regularly. The president wants to get something done. We have another 840,000 jobs lost. Uh, Consumer spending went up just 1%. So I'm just wondering, do you want to see a rescue package, and what should our audience know about one that could be coming?
9: I want to see a rescue package that keeps people on business payrolls, that gives – small businesses, another bite of the apple at PPP, and gives them liability. However, Brian, one thing we need to keep repeating, there are hundreds of billions of dollars still sitting out there unspent from the last rescue package. We need a full accounting. We need the ability to shift those monies and spend them where they're needed. Uh, and so for the Democrats to throw you know another $3.5 trillion of our grandkids' money uh, after this problem, when we still haven't spent the monies we've already appropriated, is something that,
3: that I'm really focused on. So I I know some people have written me directly because I said this on television, but the $600 that's in this package as I read it worries me because I'm thinking of the business owner that's having trouble getting his waiters back and his cooks back because Americans who have been abused by this, this China virus are saying I'm getting more to stay at home. I've already been tortured by this and lost my livelihood relationships. I haven't been going out to dinner. So if you're paying people more, they're not going back to work. So okay. we, I don't think you can give in on the $600 in addition to the unemployment you're already getting.
9: If that, right. So that's in addition. Remember, that $600 isn't just a magic number. That's the $15 an hour minimum wage that, that Democrats have been pushing for on top of the state unemployment. So you're absolutely right. I'm hearing from business owners all day long. They can't pull hotel workers, landscapers, uh, restaurants. They can't get their folks back. If that stays uh, uh, in place to next spring, which is what the Democrats currently want, I won't vote for it. I mean, we just, we can't have that. It's, it's bad for our economy. It's warping our labor market. And it's terrible for the morale of people in these businesses that are still working. Mm-hmm. You have landscapers out there land tricks, you know, um, uh, making less than their former colleagues who are, who are at home. Uh, that said, there are people out there, Brian, that still that, that are hurting, that we do have to help. We just have to be smart about it. And, uh, again, right. how do we get people on business payrolls, not unemployment payrolls, needs to be kind of the fundamental approach.
3: I know you're in our Jacksonville market, but in our Orlando market, WDBO, uh, we know that Disney opened up responsibly, and now they're almost up to full capacity. But they laid off 28,000 people, and I looked into why. It's mostly California. Anaheim That's will right. open. You've already shown you can do it responsibly in Florida. It's basically, at yeah. this point, the same climate. So why can't... Disney opened up in California. It is governing, governing again.
9: Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so actually, my district goes from Jacksonville all the way down to uh, Orlando. Okay. And, uh, and uh, you're, uh, well said. I mean, you can't say it any better than that. That this is horrible governance, uh, and and it is this lockdown mentality that uh, that liberal. Uh, elected leaders haven't. I mean, we've shown that we can walk or chew gum, and it's the blue-collar workers that Democrats espouse to protect, want to protect, that are being affected most, not only by these lockdowns, but by not being able to get their kids to school, right? If you're a white-collar worker, an accountant, or a lawyer, you can work from home have your kids at school a lot easier than someone who has to be out on a construction site, for example, or or, or working in a theme park. Uh, so it's hurting the people in underserved communities the most in this kind of lockdown mentality. We need to protect the most vulnerable until we get a vaccine and let uh, and let the rest of the country go back to school and go back to work. And you guys and basically are. A full bl- and that's
3: what we're doing in Florida. Yeah. So right? tell me, what is um, it like? I, I understand that people walking around without masks in Florida.
9: Well, look, if you have, this is if you get the virus, right, which is a small percentage of the population, if you're under 55, you have less than a, zero, a 0.05% chance of getting critically ill. So 99.5%, and this is under 55. Uh, and, and, again, we, you know, we've taken a common-sense approach, protect our nursing homes, protect those who uh, have underlying conditions, and with our schools, we give parents options. You can either send kids in full time, you can do a hybrid option or you can have a virtual option rather than having the government dictate one or the other. Let's let families make those choices depending on your own on your own circumstances. And that's the approach we've largely taken across the state.
3: All right, uh, Congressman, it's going to be an exciting 30 plus days to the final. Have you spoke to the president lately?
9: Uh, I will. I was at a rally with him last week, and we'll have another rally uh, down in Sanford, Florida, this Friday, and we'll see him then. Do
3: you think he thinks? Look, he, do you, do you he think he thinks up. he? Do you think he thinks he's going to win? He uh,
9: he thinks he's in good shape. He thinks that the polling is drastically uh, undercounting enthusiasm, the enthusiasm factor, uh, and, and I think that's the case as well. And the last four polls I've seen statewide in Florida, have him up. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I think, uh, we're going to see that play out over the next, over the next 30 days,
3: just uh, like
9: we did in 2016.
3: And a will to do with the Hispanic vote. Congressman Michael So it's great to talk to you.
9: All right. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon.
3: All right. When we come back, uh, we'll take your calls. I'll finish up with you. one 408 7669
2: Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're
8: with Brian Kilmead. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's Fox getting you talking to are with Brian City. Kilmeade. Last night I Fox did what the corrupt media
2: has refused to do. I held Joe no Biden
1: accountable for his 47 Brian years Kilmeade. of life. 47 years of betrayal and 47 years of failure. I held Joe accountable for shipping your jobs and dreams abroad and for bowing to the violent mob at home. Can you imagine these people the way they take over these democrat cities? I don't even believe it. The whole nation saw the truth.
3: And now was the president at a huge rally. I tell you, he was pumped up yesterday. Had a big crowd. Uh, This weekend, he's going to go back to Minnesota. Today, he's going to be going to Iowa. I'm not sure what he's doing on Friday. But, you know, creating controversy with the size of his crowds. But people don't have to come. He goes into outdoor venues where it's safer. Uh, Anyone who sits behind him has to wear a mask. And people that sit in front of him make their own choice. I mean, that's it. You could say he's being irresponsible. Not really. We're all making our own choices, correct? Raymond, listen, WHIO. Hey, Raymond.
5: Hey, Brian. Hey. I was I was listening to you, and and they said uh they wanted, the question the other night was they said uh President Trump Mr. Trump will you uh condemn the uh, white supremacists. Yeah. Well, he never really give a good answer but he couldn't because if you're going to have to condemn the white supremacist, you have to de- de- condemn the black supremacist. And all the other uh, nationalities. No problem,
7: because do it. We're all
5: supposed to be equal, aren't we?
3: No, but I mean, any people who are trying to push the white cause only, or the black cause only, or the Hispanic cause only, you should condemn them. That means that that means they're trying to steamroll other people because of the color of their skin or the religion that they may have. The president had an easy layup there. Of course I condemn white supremacists. Of course he does. We have I'm watching video of him with Matt Lauer in the 90s, condemning the KKK and David Duke and talking about what clowns they are. So, right, there really isn't. Uh, just Mr. President, just make the easy move. Charlene, listening on the Fox News Radio app in Spokane, Washington. Charlene.
11: Thank you, Brian, for taking my call. I watched the debate. Yep. And I think the problem was the moderator. I think the problem was Chris Wallace. He had long questions that weren't relevant, weren't to the point, and when he asked Biden, will you stack the court, and Biden went on and on, he should have stopped. That is a question every American voter needs to hear. Will you stack the Supreme Court?
3: Charlene, I and hear he you, had- and you're 100% right. Also, are you going to just put in two new states, change everybody's flag to 52 states, make giving them four more senators? That's what's at stake, but— before Chris Wallace could follow up, the president interjected and said, answer the question. You're not answering the question. So I think next time, Charlene, the president should lay out. And I, I think he by him not answering would tell the story.
11: It did to me. His not answering told me his answer.
3: Right. Sam, listen on KDWN in Las Vegas. Sam.
5: Oh, Brian. Brian, as a, as a 50-year-old black man... And a, and a Trump supporter, please. Uh, let me just tell you, don't fall for this white supremacist stuff pushed by the white liberals in the media, please.
3: But I'm not falling so for. So all my it. white brothers and sisters, so all
5: my white brothers and sisters, don't. We we know President Trump is not racist. This is nothing pushed to Brian, from the very he beginning.
3: Is, Sam. That's what's frustrating. You and I know that. So just say it. Don't say I'm not a racist. Just kind of go. Of course I condemn those groups. That's it. Then we have nothing to talk about. But uh, yeah, hang tough in there in Nevada, and I hope you get your ballot. I guess it's getting mailed to your house. Sam in Las Vegas, appreciate it, and appreciate you.
8: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
3: I'm Shannon
11: Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Uh, Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Unbelievable. The President of the United States oftentimes has stories, but he's a little ahead of his game. Today, uh, we're seeing it, and the President mentioned it yesterday, that now... More than 100,000 ballots, wrong names, wrong addresses in New York. Nassau County, Long Island, and Manhattan. And now the mayor comes out and blames the governor. The governor blames the, uh, the, the Department of uh, Elections. You know what the Department of Elections says? It's the private vendor's fault. What does this show you? I want the election to be perfect. I want it to be close to Perfect. But we're doing something that we can't do, and that is mail everybody ballots in at least 10 states, unrequested. And now they're screwing the, the, the ballots up. And this is headlines in New York, but it's also headlines in Washington. It backs up exactly what the president was saying and why this debate ended so horribly at the end because they were talking about, would you accept the results of the election? Because, yeah, if they are good results and it's not all mail in ballots, because a lot of these uh, these voter rolls are not updated at all. Let's get to the big three. Now
2: with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
4: Number three. We're not going to do a two point two trillion dollar deal. Uh, the good news is the speaker has come down from her three point four trillion dollar deal. If there's a fair compromise, we're prepared to do it.
3: That is Steve Mnuchin giving us all hope. Right now, the House held off because they're trying to get, with the White House, on an aid package to help all of you out there, especially those tens of thousands of airline workers and hospitality workers. We have no more tourists. Over this week, Disney laid off 28,000. 30,000 workers Where federal aid expires. Uh, That's what they're dealing with right now. And they're talking about a big aid package, which could put the $600 uh, in your pocket uh, every week extra. Number
6: two. On D.C. and Puerto Rico, particularly if Puerto Rico votes for it, love to make them states. Okay. And as for the filibuster, everything, everything is on the table.
3: What a clown. That is Senator Schumer. And what he's talking about is changing the country. The court from 9 to 11 uh, associate justices. For the states, up to 52 Puerto Rico and D.C. would be Democratic states. And who knows, maybe Island of Samoa would be next. Chuck Schumer saying he's doing that. He's not warning you. He's telling you he's doing that. That's what's at stake in these debates in this election.
7: Number one. Biden was flailing and failing. And the president didn't let it sink in so the American people would have said, wow, Biden really is withholding the information about who he's going to name to the court. And about whether Joe Biden would block or sign into law expansion of the court to pack the court. This is what we need to hear from Joe Biden. Yeah,
3: how he was able to skate on that, I don't get even to this day. Hopefully you'll understand it. 33 days to go to the big election day. One debate is done. We're going to look at the aftermath of the mistake by the lake in Cleveland. As the reflections and ramifications of that 90-minute verbal slugfest continue to pour in, it's pretty clear the president's aggression allowed Biden to skate. I agree with Ari 100%. cries of format changes before round two. Are you on board? So they're talking about killing mics in between. It's kind of tough. So... The way it's supposed to be is that town hall format with so-called undecided voters. I hope it's not a Stephanopoulos undecided voters because they all hated Trump. And I hope it's not an Anderson Cooper style town hall because they all love Joe Biden. I even watched Joe Biden's questions yesterday. And his questions were so easy. uh, any, Any person, you would think he retired. These questions are so easy. You would think he's just in front of students and you're lecturing at a college class. And these reporters who never get a chance to question Biden, you would think, would have four tough questions re- ready to go so they could make some news. But it, it didn't happen. Uh, very frustrating. So the president of the United States, I, don't, I thought, was too aggressive, but he certainly wasn't nervous. He made his point that Joe Biden can't have his track record and have the back of those on the left. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to cleave the AOCs and Bernie Sanders from Biden, who said, I beat the socialist, It is my party. AOC says, I'm trying to mobilize young people, and we don't really don't like to be ridiculed. And when you do that to Bernie Sanders, you do that to me. And they're keeping their powder dry right now. Big story in the Washington Post, so they don't know how much longer they can do it. Especially when Trump keeps on forcing Biden to separate himself from the way left. Biden, yesterday, on his whistle stop tour, had a few stops. He's actually out of the basement. Cut seven.
7: I kind of thought at one point, maybe I shouldn't say this, but uh, the president of the United States conducted himself the way he did, um, I think it was just a, a national embarrassment.
3: National embarrassment. The president was aggressive. Would you call that president a liar, a racist, a clown, the worst president ever? You were as disgraceful as you're claiming the president was. And he got a total pass on that. I just saw this number on Fox News. The president was uh, interrupted. The president interrupted others over 100 times. Uh, Biden, 67. That's a lot. But what's at stake is packing the court. That's going to change the country. What's at stake is fattening the House so they have more. makes it harder for it ever to go red again. What's more is adding two states, making it possible, really, for the for years, for decades, for the Senate to ever go red again. And then, if the President of the United States is a Democrat, that happens. If the Senate is Democrat, that happens. The President just has to make that statement. You saw what I did for four years. You don't like some. Of, you don't like some of my acts. Fine. Some of them you love it. That's why his place. That's why his offensive pack wherever he goes. Now, some of you should understand this: that the alternative. Is not another Republican. The alternative is somebody who wants to dramatically change the country. He is going to gut the military. He will have no choice. He needs to get the money somewhere. There's not enough toner in the world to make enough money that he needs in order to support his programs unless he does it. And that's what really, I believe, got to Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson is the most successful African-American businessman ever in America, of of course. Uh, I think he was the first billionaire, started among his many accomplishments, BET founder, big success there. And when they talked to him about who he's voting for, they expected the name to be Joe Biden. Cut 11.
9: I can't tell you who won, but I can tell you who lost. And that was the American people. Uh, This was like a, a, a schoolyard fight over who has the the best-looking girlfriend. Uh, It was a waste of an hour and a half uh, that gave no guidance, no direction at all as to where the company will go after uh, this election. But having uh, summed it up in in that language, where I come out as a businessman, I will take, the devil I know over the devil I don't know, any time of the week, and that seems to be what business people are confronting today.
3: So he's in with Trump, and remember, Joe Biden was able to get away with this statement. Wall Street firms of of uh, Wall Street firms have all agreed that my plan will grow the economy more than his plan. Really, what Wall Street firms? Are you a Wall Street guy now? Blue Collar Joe from Scranton is a Wall Street guy? So a little bit of controversy there. So on the new debate format, what do you want to see? I'm going to ask you. I, I, don't, I don't know how you do it because you have a town hall and you have a moderator who Chris Stierwald says in most agree is evidently a great guy. But his first job was as an intern with Joe Biden and his first paying job was with Ted Kennedy. So if the president of the United States is a little skeptical that he's going to get a fair shot from the moderator, you can't blame him. Brian Morgenstern was on Fox News earlier, and uh, he's an official with the Trump team. He says this about the new rules they're talking about. Cut 14.
9: It's up to the candidates to really debate with one another and hold each other accountable. If we have a third party muting one over the other, I mean, we know who that would be targeting. It would really be uh, targeted at President Trump because he controls the conversation. He gets out there and he says his message and he holds Joe Biden's feet to the fire. He talks about his the president's record on growth versus the Obama Biden administration. It's not even close.
3: So uh, those are the other issues. The other issues is where the president ended the debate talking about the ballots. He's concerned about it. Are you going to accept the result? Yeah, if it's a right result, he would accept it. But now you have ballots that are going to arrive in places like Michigan, for, allowed to arrive 14 days after November 3rd. Come on. A week after you're in state mailing a ballot in, and it's going to take you that long in America? And don't say it's because there's too many uh, letters, please. So in New York, case in point for the president. Tens of thousands of ballots mislabeled, wrong names, wrong addresses. Mayor de Blasio, I don't need to tell anybody how bad he is. Listen to what he said. Cut 23.
0: What we have now is not working, and the state has not acted to change that. And that is why we have the problem year after year. It is the state's responsibility to fix the board
5: of elections,
7: period.
3: Children listening around the country, uh, when you do something wrong, don't pass the buck. Take responsibility for it. And at the very least, if that is the case, you've done nothing to change the most one of the most vital things that you do as a mayor. So these guys hate each other. They're from the same party. They have no respect for each other. And they get a total pass. I'm going to come back and take your calls. And then at the bottom of the hour, welcome in Senator Marsha Blackburn and talk about the president's performance and how some are saying it's going to hurt down ballot. Does she buy into that? Then I see your calls up there from Pennsylvania to Iowa, to Georgia, to St. Louis, and Suffolk County, New York. I'll get to you all.
2: A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make
2: your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: This is incontrovertible evidence. The first time we've ever actually seen the deed being done on tape. The media says there's no evidence. Even the director of the FBI last week said there's no evidence of voter fraud. Well, there you have it. It's a state crime. You can't even have more than three ballots in your possession in Minnesota, and it's a federal crime because this guy was going around residential buildings in Minneapolis pressuring people for these ballots, taking them away from the elderly. Sean, this is the story that may change things, It's all on tape. They can no
3: longer deny it. And this is uh, the Minneapolis problem. They said they're already investigating fraud allegations because it's on video. The the Minneapolis Police Department announced uh, earlier this week they're looking into explosive allegations that that guy just found out, uh, just was relaying to you. Um, They came out. Veritas went undercover. Uh, and they fa- found out that Elon Omar has people working for them, taking people's ballots, getting paid to grab people's ballots and fill them out, uh, all for Democratic causes. And they work for Congresswoman Elon Omar. An investigation from Project Veritas, they go on to say, purports to show, as you just heard, Omar is engaged in illegal ballot harvesting and a cash for ballot scheme right in Minneapolis. This is according to Newsweek the group which has targeted mainly liberal groups with sting operations, this is Veritas, posted the video late on Sunday when it claims evidence of illegal harvest at ballot Thing exists here. The video shows Lee, Liban Mohammed, brother of Minneapolis City Council member Jamal Osman, saying to a Snapchat a Snapchat video, "Just today, we got three hundred dollars, three hundred ballots for Jamal Osman. I have three hundred ballots in my car right now. Numbers don't lie. You can see my car is full. All these ba- absentee ballots. Look at all these are for Jamal Osman. That's what the president worries about because twenty two thousand votes here, ten thousand votes here, that decided the last election, let alone this election." But absentee ballots are great. You have a system, great. You're in Oregon and Colorado. You understand it. No argument there. Let's go to the phones. Brian, listen, WRCN. Hey, Brian.
9: Hey, Brian. I got a quick question for Ilhan Omar. Did some people do something, Ilhan? I think you should go to jail. But my second comment, real quick, I think Joe Biden needs to look in the mirror. Chris Wallace, he can kick rocks. And, and, and uh, Donald Trump, he needs to calm down. OK, when he when he goes off like that, he's losing people. He's losing the women. I got I got my wife is
4: for Donald Trump. My mother-in-law is for Donald Trump.
9: They did not like to see him yelling. And I get it. I get it. Biden is the reason why he's investigated. Obama is the reason why he was investigated. He sees all the hypocrisy. He sees the demagoguery. He, he gets angry about it, but he's got to calm down, Brian.
3: I hear you. Uh, I think he understands that. Sally KFTK, St. Louis, Missouri. Sally.
9: Hi, Brian. Uh, Listen, the
12: Trump campaign, the RNC, whoever, they could put to rest a lot of the false narratives that the the left has been uh, promoting for years now. All they have to do is put the part of the video clips on a campaign commercial that they could put Charlotte to rest – In a matter of like 10 to 15 seconds, maybe less, just when he started that press conference, first thing he did was condemn it, the the guy that ran over that woman, then... The clip where he has the p- only part they play is where he said good people on both sides. But right after that, he was saying, I'm not talking about the KKK or the, the Nazi skinheads or anything. You know,
5: he was just talking right. about that. Well, the you know, to, to show you are to-
3: right, Sally, he wanted to say that. He said, you don't have the whole clip, say the whole statement. But he never got a chance to do it because he interrupted. And then Wallace reprimands. He fin- uh, Biden finishes and then they move to another topic. That's what I found frustrating because the president, you know, because, uh, you know, Chris had a lot of topics to get to. But that's a good point, Sally. That, I mean, it's you have you have a lot to say. Why get caught up in not condemning a white supremacist? You say, of course I do. And then it's the story's done. And you well, you're playing into their hands. I'm not playing into their hands. I got to move on. Sometimes you do things in order to move on. Uh, you get an offender, bender accident. You don't want your rates to go up. So you pay cash. Why? It's easier, You do your rates don't go up, and you can just be done with it. It doesn't mean it's necessarily, it was your fault, the accident. Chris on WABC, Staten Island. Chris. Oh, hey. Thanks
13: for taking my call. Uh, I'm part of the class action lawsuit. I saw your uh, piece this morning. Uh, On Fox and Friends, and And just
3: to tell tell everybody, Chris, that didn't get the show. There's a there's a player, he's a quarterback, and his mom. They're suing along with a lawyer. They have a lawyer to allow to suing Governor Cuomo to make to allow them to play football in New York.
13: Yes, that's correct. That that class action suit is all over the state of New York. I'm from Staten Island. We have uh, parents from Long Island. We have parents from Westchester. We have parents from upstate New York. We band together. Under the Let Us Play hashtag, Good. we found each other, and we found our uh, attorney, uh, James Mermigas, and he uh, started the uh, lawsuit he filed last week. He's filing the injunction today. Our, our boys, and I have a quarterback son who plays football. He's he's uh, started uh, since freshman year, and he was looking forward to this year to play football. And then on September 9th, we got the word that Football is moving to the spring, which we we can't even believe that.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't believe it. Uh, they're moving soccer to the spring too. Uh, that that's even though they're allowed to play soccer, the school doesn't think it's much, uh, as much. Uh, it's a worthy risk. Now, people listening to us around the country, Chris, can't believe it because they've been practicing all summer, just like the Big Ten was practicing and the ACC was practicing, but the Big Ten was told it's too dangerous until they were embarrassed into playing. This governor only listens to lawsuits, so sue him. Make him come up with the evidence why your senior in high school, your junior, or your freshman can't play football. And it's not just about getting a scholarship to Alabama. These are these are life-defining teams, friendships that last forever, and the risk is way too low to destroy it. And if you don't want to play, you don't have to. Just give people the opportunity. This governor's terrible, arrogant doesn't listen. I He backs off on lawsuits, so Chris. I hope you win.
4: Jason in the
2: House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show
10: she's a woman who is shattering barriers glass ceilings and i just pray that this moment does not tear our country apart i have total
13: confidence in her it's going to be a tough process but women are just naturally strong folks this is what a mom can do
3: uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, that is uh, some of the reviews from the sitting senators, from Senator Kelly Loeffler uh, to uh, Hyde, uh, Senator Hyde-Smith to Senator Joni Ernst, weighing in on what they see from Amy Coney Barrett, uh, who is going to be the next Supreme Court justice, barring anything unexpected. Today, Senator Marsha Blackburn will meet with uh, with Amy at some point. Uh, she's going to be meeting this afternoon, we believe, and she is the same senator, good friend of the show, and author of this brand new book, "The Mind of a Conservative Woman: Seeking the Best for Family and Country." And it seems like uh, Miss Barrett is the perfect example of somebody you wrote the book about.
11: You know, Brian, it really is, and the forward was done by our good friend Newt Gingrich, former speaker. And I had emailed him uh, this week. We were talking about it was just perfect timing because the book is all about bias and prejudice and preferencing against conservative women by the left whether they're in the private or the public sector. And I wrote the book because I would hear from so many women who are in elective office or who are involved in their careers, and they would say, you know, women of the left are elevated and glorified, whether it's in the media or the corporate world, and those of us that are on the right They say, oh, you're out of step with the times, and many times we're ridiculed and mocked because we're pro-life, pro-family, pro-religion, pro-business, pro-military. And it has been a curious set of circumstances that women on the right have found themselves facing. So you are right. You know, this book is perfectly timed. And yes, I'm going in about 45 minutes to meet with Judge Barrett and begin work on how we get her uh, to Judiciary Committee and the hearings that she'll face and then to the floor for a confirmation vote.
3: So here's what Cardinal Timothy Dolan said yesterday. Uh, cut 29. She takes
1: her Catholic faith seriously, but That's not why she was nominated uh, as a justice of the Supreme Court, is it? I think she's nominated because she's the best candidate around.
3: That's what he says. And he would love, obviously, there would be nothing better for him than overturning Roe v. Wade. But he says that's really not why she got the job. The Cardinal realizes that. Don't you think Democrats realize that? I think that they do realize
11: that, but they do not want to admit it because she is not the stereotypical female that they want to cheer for. She is the type female that they will say, we don't want to hear from you. You know, it's a really interesting thing that Democrats want diversity. But when you talk about viewpoint diversity and hearing from females, they don't want that. And Amy Coney Barrett is being – pushed aside and diminished because she is a woman of faith. Now, quite frankly, I do not think that women should be disqualified because they are religious or they are a woman of faith. And the left is really kind of coming at Amy Coney Barrett because she takes her children to church every week. And you would think from listening to some of their arguments that they think only atheists or secularists should apply for a seat on the federal bench. And the clips you played from the uh, press conference I organized yesterday, you know, we Republican women think that it is important to Mm -hmm. stand up and say, look, this diversity viewpoint is a good thing. Women who are pro-faith, who are pro-life, who are pro-family? They deserve a seat at the table, and having that viewpoint diversity would be a very good thing for the court.
3: I hear you. So here's the thing: uh, you talk about if she goes through, and she's supposed to get through. I mean, they're gonna uh, they're gonna bring this stuff up, but I think Democrats are smart enough to know if you attack her personally with a background like this, a mom of seven with a with a with a great mind like she has, I think they think they I think they're smart enough to know they can't do a Kavanaugh here. And if she gets seated, this is what Chuck Schumer says will happen, and we've heard about this, but now he's saying it out loud, cut to uh, not let's not use the one on the debate. Let's use the one where he talks about with his agenda.
6: on DC and Puerto Rico, particularly if Puerto Rico votes for it, DC already has voted for it and wants it. I love to make them states. Okay. And as for the filibuster, i didn't I'm not busting my my chops to become majority leader, to do very little or nothing. We are going to get a whole lot done. And as I've said, everything, everything is on the table.
3: Do you realize he's going to do this? He is going to make it a simple majority like the House. And he's going to be adding Puerto Rico and D.C. to the country. we got to change our flags, add four more Democratic senators. Senator Blackburn, you will never be in the majority again if Donald Trump loses. Because if he loses, he's going to lose the Senate, too.
11: And this is something that is a point of concern. And, Brian, think about it. They are so ticked off that Donald Trump would do his constitutional duty, that he would nominate a judge, a judge who is well-qualified, who has a bright mind and an excellent career, is highly touted by those on the left and right. And Cardinal Dolan said this right. But Chuck Schumer is so angry about this, that he is saying, if we take the majority, we're going to pack the court. We're going to do statehood for D.C., for Puerto Rico. We're going to socialize medicine. We're going to start the Green New Deal. We're going to allow felons to vote. We're going to let 16-year-olds vote. And that is just our first 100-day agenda. That but, is Senator, what they
3: we, we've never do. in my lifetime had more at stake and some are listening and go, Yeah, I hope so. I hope we I hope Puerto Rico becomes a state. I hope Washington, DC, even though it was never intended to be, becomes its own state. Uh, I mean, this is never there's never been a more the change couldn't be more on the table than it is right now in my lifetime and in probably in your lifetime.
11: Well and You're exactly right, but they are so power-hungry, and they do not want diversity of opinion. They're all for the cancel culture. They are all for getting their way only, and so they're going to shut out other viewpoints. And, Brian, you know, they keep saying, oh, she would rule on uh, the Affordable Care Act. This is not about the Affordable Care Act per se, what it is, they are concerned that if there is a constitutional jurist, an originalist, which Judge Barrett is an originalist, then that judge, justice would participate in blocking them from doing the socialized medicine, government-run health care takeover. They would block them From the Green New Deal and the mandates to tear down buildings and rebuild buildings, they would block them from taking away your free speech and block them from taking away your privacy rights.
3: Well, it's amazing. In New York, they can't pick up the garbage. We're going to retrofit all the buildings. Good luck with that. And if they do need, if they do try to do it, they're going to take the money from the military. How I could watch uh, General McChrystal on MSNBC declaring that he's voting for Joe Biden, knowing that the uh, armed forces, not only did President Obama fire him, but he hollowed out the military. The president might have, some, might have a personality that grates on him, but if you care about the military, you wouldn't think about changing teams. But I don't think the president helped himself at the end of that debate when he was asked about white supremacist group. And this question should have been about Antifa. I give you that. But when he didn't come out and say, I condemn that group, it made things difficult not only for Tim Scott, but anyone running in a tight race. Here is Tim Scott yesterday uh, when he was confronted. Cut 15.
8: I think he misspoke. In response to Chris Wallace's uh, comment, he's asking Chris what he wanted to say. Uh, I think he misspoke. I think he should correct it. If he doesn't correct it, I guess he
3: didn't misspeak. So what do you think, Senator? What would you like to see the president do?
11: I think he should clarify his remarks. And he should condemn these extremist groups, whether they're on the left or the right. There is no place. For these extremist groups, for white supremacy in a civil society,
3: disappointing that you still at, you're at this this Charlottesville conversation two years later.
11: Of course, you know there's no place for white supremacy or any of these groups in a civil society, and I think the president needs to clarify what he was saying, or if he misspoke, he needs to clarify.
3: Senator, thanks so much. Congratulations on your book. It's really excellent uh, for people who think uh, they want to get uh, have it all you can. The Mind of a Conservative Woman Seeking the Best for Family and Country. You can do both. Senator, thanks so much.
11: Thank you, Brian.
3: You got it. When we come back, we're going to take your calls, 1-866-408-7669.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian
8: Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts
2: Network.
1: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, Which Will I Humbly Say?
4: Single-handedly save the world. You're
8: welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
4: The president instructed us to come up significantly, so uh, we we have come up from the trillion-dollar deal that we had been working on earlier He's very focused on wanting to make sure that all the people who have been impacted by COVID, no fault of their own, were delivering relief. As I've said before, our job is not done until we get everybody back to work, and we're going to keep trying.
3: Uh, That's Senator Mnuchin hoping to get some type of aid package through, and I do think it's getting closer and closer. Uh, You do have 840,000 jobless claims. You do have uh, consumer spending only going up 1%, so that does not help. Uh, let's find out this. What else is out there? Pennsylvania uh, is where we find Ken. Hey, Ken.
5: Hey, Brian. How are you today? Good. Hey, Brian. Uh, I, I heard the president say that he did denounce white supremacy during the uh, debate. It's just that he didn't come right out and like blast it out. So, if you could reread the transcript.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you me. right now. Chris Wallace yep. says, you have repeatedly criticized the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa. But are you willing to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities like Kenosha and Portland? President Trump, sure, I'm willing to do that. So that's what you're talking about. Biden interrupts. Do it. Well, go ahead, sir. Wallace interrupts. Then President Trump says, but I have to say almost everything I see is from the left, not from the right. Wallace says, so what are you saying? President Trump, he continues to try to, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace. Wallace interrupts again and says, well, then do it, sir. Biden chimes in. Say it. Do it. Say it. President Trump, you want to call him? What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a name. And Wallace says, white supremacist. Biden says, proud boys. So President Trump says, say a name. Who do you want me to do? And then Wallace says white supremacist and right wing militia groups, Biden chants again, proud boys, proud boys, proud boys. Trump says, proud boys, stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you that somebody's got to do something about Antifa on the left because that's not right. So you're right. The proud boys was brought up by Biden, not the president. The president yesterday came out and, and said this to clarify. Cut five.
1: I don't know who the proud boys are. I mean, you have to give me a definition because I really don't know who they are. I can only say they have to stand down, let law enforcement do their work. So, Mr.
10: President,
3: did you misspeak when you said stand by? That's my, my first question.
10: You
1: Just stand by. Look, law enforcement will do their work. They're going to stand down. They have to stand down. Everybody, they have to stand, whatever group
5: you're talking about.
3: So that's the clarification. Is that what you mean?
5: Yeah, but you realize that Proud Boys is 20% black and Latino also. So they're not even a white supremacy group. So, I mean, the narrative that they keep pushing is just garbage.
3: I hear you. It's just the president could just make it so much easier, Can Just go, of course I condemn white supremacists. That's like saying, do you like, do you, uh, are you going to condemn burglars or murderers? You know, white supremacists, it's a horrific statement. Uh, anything that shows a suprema, uh, some, some supremacy over a group because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background. Uh, I just don't know why the president doesn't make it easy, because easier on himself, because he's not a racist, sexist, misogynist, uh, and he doesn't feel like he has to prove it. But his supporters are dealt with these questions when he doesn't answer clearly. Let's find out if there's more to know.
2: More. To
3: know. Fox News won the night, draws 17.8 million viewers for the first debate. It's down, uh, though, from the previous first debate uh, with the Clinton-Trump year. ABC finished a distant second to us, but led the broadcast networks with an average of 12.6. Pretty amazing. The debate was moderated by Chris Wallace. And they yeah. also said,
10: sorry, um, I think from the last debate till now, I think like 15 percent more people now like, stream and cut the cord.
3: No kidding! No kidding! Yeah. I mean, look. I actually feel like I'm switching channels now. I watch a show and I'm saying to myself, let me put my phone on and see what else is on. I used to go picture in picture or say I'm going to put in two separate rooms. I'm like the last one to think like this, too. So I just think it's amazing. You know why? The quality is so good on your phone now. That is true. Yeah. Next, fans of the World Series will sell. This is great news for baseball fans. You will get 11,500 tickets. If you can get into the NLCS, or the ALCS, $11,000. it will be in Texas. It'll be in a central location. They're going to sell under 12,000 tickets. Uh, So they're out now. The ALCS, which is scheduled to be played at Dodger Stadium, will be played without fans in attendance. The NLCS will begin October 12th, and the World Series scheduled for October 20th. The league will implement a series of health and safety protocols. That's kind of good news, right? That's
10: very good news. A little bit of normalcy coming back to sports.
3: Yeah. Uh, right. Next. The
10: NFL started it. Now MLB is following.
3: Right. Actually, soccer started it. I was the first one there to bring it up. It was USL, of all places. Next. The Subway, the bread at Subway is now illi- is listed as legally not bread. Evidently, there's too much sugar in it. Uh, Ireland's highest court isn't sweet on that. Get it? The country's Supreme Court ruled that the starch used in Subway sandwiches is too sugary to be defined as bread. I mean, is this just something that really needs to be litigated?
10: Granted, it's in Ireland, but enjoy your bread if you're going to eat it.
3: Dough baked from Subway sandwiches has a sugar content of roughly 10%, the weight of its four uh, flour content, so therefore it can't. What blows me away is Subway was selling itself as healthy. So it, not only is it not healthy, not even bread. Well, according to
10: the courts in Ireland. But it's all relative, healthy compared to what? It's probably healthier than McDonald's. Donald's or other fast food, but maybe not as healthy as just a salad.
3: But if the if the Irish know anything besides uh, beer, beer. <laughs> it is bread, Irish soda bread. I mean, we used to have an international uh, meal day. I used to have to bring something Irish and Italian, and I always used to bring Irish soda bread. I actually didn't think they made anything else.
10: Talk, I mean, talk about sweet bread. Is that even bread? That should be exactly. sugar. Did it's you, heavy. But did you make it, or did your mom make it? I think I pitched in. Okay. Right? Yep.
3: And um, that's when I used to be pitching in was called preheating the oven.
10: And mixing mixing the bowl a little bit.
3: Yes. Next, the NFL has postponed the Titans-Steelers game four after a positive test. I actually don't know how you make this game up. Uh, it turns out uh, Sunday's game will be rescheduled to allow additional time for further daily COVID-19 tests and to ensure the health and safety of players. The NFL said the Titans returned positive tests. Uh, from three players and five other team personnel, the team played the Vikings on Week Three. But the Vikings don't have a problem. In a statement posted on Twitter, the Vikings said they haven't received any positive tests, but the team did close its practice site. You know, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. You're not playing in a bubble, but you're not playing with fans. I'm surprised it hasn't happened more.
10: That is true, and it make them like just you know really test the, their schedule and capabilities,
3: right? Uh, oh, that! Oh, we're out of time. Apple unveiled its new gender-neutral uh, emojis for iOS 14. You have like
10: a man in a wedding dress or a woman in a tuxedo.
3: I'm pretty sure uh, Apple has four. I'm going to give you more on that next time. The gender variation options are now in. Another reason to get the iPhone, right? More apps,
10: no
8: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox
2: News Radio Studios
8: in New York City, giving you opinions and facts
2: with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome to the latest hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be a great hour. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You heard it over and over again. Uh, if you have, if you have Amy, Kona Barrett, if she's able to get onto the Supreme Court, there will no, be no more Obamacare. Is that in fact the case? Brian Rotella, uh, an attorney with the Special in Health Care, will be joining us now to say that is not. And if you think about the founding of our country, and I do a lot, uh, as you know. Uh, a woman that writes great books on the history of our country is Lynn Cheney, former second lady of the United States. She's written a book about the Virginia connection. Think about this. Uh, out of the first five presidents, they're all from Virginia outside John Adams. You have uh, George Washington. Remember him? Thomas Jefferson. Remember him? James Madison. James Monroe. Out of the first five, four were from Virginia. Why is that? They'll talk, she'll talk about that And uh, without putting the country down. Can you imagine talking about history and not trying to rewrite it to make America look bad? We'll take a break from all that condemnation. But first, the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number
4: three. We're not going to do a $2.2 trillion deal. Uh, the good news is the speaker has come down from her $3.4 trillion deal. If there's a fair compromise, we're prepared to do it.
3: And that is Steve Mnuchin giving people hope that there might be another rescue package coming through. COVID economy. Early uh, Earlier this week, 28,000 Disney workers laid off, most of them part-time, but still it's big. 30,000 workers from federal uh, uh, who are going to be furloughed from the airlines. Tourism has fallen through the roof. Hospitality has dropped. Federal aid expires, though. However, the airline said, if you can get a rescue package to us, we'll keep people employed. I'll tell you, tell you where the talks are at.
5: Number two.
3: On
6: D.C. and Puerto Rico, particularly if Puerto Rico votes for it, love to make them states. Okay. And as for the filibuster, everything, everything is on the table.
3: Unbelievable. Uh, Chuck Schumer plans if he gets the majority, get rid of the filibuster and jam all this green technology down our throats. Goodbye oil and gas. Look for the military to be stripped. Look for all these buildings to be retrofitted to make them more green in money we don't have. And that's exactly where that money is going to come from. They are going to actually add states to the union and make it a permanent Democratic majority. That is not a threat. That is a promise. All because Amy Coney Barrett is about to be confirmed on the Supreme Court. And they're going to stock the court, pack the court, too. Next.
7: Number one. Biden was flailing and failing. And the president didn't let it sink in so the American people would have said, wow, Biden really is withholding the information about who he's going to name to the court and about whether Joe Biden would block or sign into law expansion of the court to pack the court. This is what we need to hear from Joe Biden.
3: And if he doesn't, it speaks volumes. If he doesn't answer the question. 33 days and one debate done. We will look at the aftermath of the mistake by the lake in Cleveland as the reflections and ramifications of the 90-minute verbal slugfest continue to pour in. It's pretty clear the president's aggressive approach allowed Biden to skate and get off the hook. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And we'll talk about that with you. I see you all uh, on the board. Here's the president of the United States last night in Duluth, Minnesota. He feels great. Cut to. I'm not just
1: running against Joe Biden. I'm running against the corrupt far-left media socialists. And communists in the Democrat Party and the special interests who've made a living bleeding our country dry. And that's what's happened for too long. We've turned it around. But don't forget, when they turned it around, I had to fight other things, like a fake impeachment. I had to fight a lot of things that are not like that wasn't in the uh, agenda.
3: Yeah, uh, next one will be with uh, Steve uh, Case, I believe. Uh, he'll be hosting the next one. Excuse me, Steve Scully. He'll be host from C-SPAN. Uh, by Dowell says he knows him. One of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. Kristen Welker of NBC will have the final debate and we'll have the vice presidential debate on Tuesday. I think that'll be a lot more informative, a lot less volatile. I don't even know if these guys know each other, the vice president and Senator Kamala Harris, but it'll be interesting. And one thing that I think that Mike Pence has got to push her on are you going to fatten the court? Are you going to pack the court? Are you going to get rid of the filibuster? And if the if Joe Biden didn't want to do it, the Senate wouldn't do it. But that's the key. What President Trump wants to do is cleave the left from Joe Biden. And big story in the Washington Post today where so far, the way left, the AOCs, the squad, have been quiet about it. But they are pounding the pavement to try to get the vote out, the young vote out. Evidently the youth vote is not enthused about Joe Biden even less than they were about Hillary Clinton. And that's where AOC comes in. But every chance he gets, Joe Biden says that's not me. I run the party now. I beat the socialists and I beat them badly. How do you think that resonates? Cut 3. Joe Biden is saying
1: he owns the socialism and extremism in his party that he owns it. He it is, you know, it's not his party. It's not just party. That's not, you got crazy Bernie, you have AOC plus three, you got all these crazy people, these maniacs, you have the Green New Deal. How about the Green New Deal? He disavowed it.
3: Then he said, no, I agree with it. So that's what the president's trying to do, to separate it. And on tough questions, he can't skate by. The one thing that Joe Biden never answered, I went over this lot yesterday, is what would he do different than the president? Oh, there's about 30 states that have a mask mandate. He'll make it nationwide. Really? Good luck with that. You tell everyone in Florida, put masks back on. You tell everyone in Texas to ignore their governor and, and put masks back on. We get it. Stay your distance. If not, you put the mask on. You go indoor dining. You walk to the table. You take them off. We get up, go to the bathroom, put the mask on. We got it. We got it. I've not heard anything different from a Democrat, Republican, from a scientist, from Atlas to Fauci. That's all they're telling us to do. Wait it out and be smart about it. If you have a pre existing condition, take extra precautions. Joe Biden feeling pretty good about himself yesterday. But remember, Eric, we, we had that one of Joe Biden when he was actually trying to speak, and uh, the problem was no one scripted the trains.
7: He gave a tax giveaway for corporations when they move jobs overseas to sell goods back to the United States. And here comes the train that he tried to make sure didn't continue to well, run. No, that's the commuter. All right. No, that's what. But, folks, look, you let big corporations jump in front of the line to get the recovery aid the Congress had passed while small businesses are struggling to stay open. In the end, his measure of economic health is the stock market. Couldn't really ad lib off
3: that well, but at least he was out and about yesterday, four or five stops. No idea what he's doing today, but he's feeling pretty good about it. What should he feel good about? He should feel good that he went through the whole way, and I didn't see any change in energy. He should feel good that he was able to answer the questions, but he should feel fortunate that the president was able to interrupt a lot of his answers because they were circuitous in length. He never really answered anything. There was no new information that came here, and that's why so many think it was just a wasted wasted opportunity, a wasted opportunity. And we'll see if the president can go get that momentum. What the president sees is a different story than the polls reveal. Wherever he goes, the crowd's getting bigger and bigger. He hears he's losing by 10 in Minnesota. He shows up, and the place is packed. He hears he's having trouble in Florida. He can't go anywhere. He's, he, the crowd's bigger than, more enthusiastic than ever before. And he hears he's losing. Well, as of late, he's in a, basically a dead heat. If you heard to, if you, if you speak to others, he's up. But overall, Molly Hemingway weighed in and said, listen. There might be some changes to rules in the next debate, but the president did just fine, cut 18.
10: These kinds of changes wouldn't be happening if people thought that Joe Biden was effective last night, or if they thought that Donald Trump hadn't pummeled Joe Biden, which he did. But it is important that people be allowed to speak, and it's particularly the case for Donald Trump. Uh, Many people in the media have decided to kind of help Joe Biden along. One of the only times that Donald Trump can press the issues that he thinks that Joe Biden is weak on is in those debates. And so there should be opportunity. I actually think it's great if the two individuals can spar even more. Certainly they shouldn't interrupt or make it difficult to hear. But it's good to hear people uh, going against each other and, and talking about how they are
9: different.
3: Yeah, I, I I thought it was good. And that's what uh, Chris Wallace was saying to the New York Times today. He said, I liked when they were going at each other directly, but I didn't know they were going to th- go through all my stop signs. President, they say over 100 times and 67 times for Joe Biden one i am going to come back and take some calls, but I also want to uh, bring in Brian Rotella. One of the big points that I thought Joe Biden did score well on was health care, saying, if you seat this justice, the Supreme Court's about to hear a case on Obamacare. She has written that she's against Obama, that, that, that uh, justice, uh, the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice Roberts, blew it uh, when Barack Obama had Obamacare put up to the Supreme Court. It says he blew it. Should have just gotten rid of it, like Scalia said. So they feel as though they know how she's going to vote. And they feel like the Obamacare's history and what the Republicans don't have as a replacement. Brian Rotella says that's not the whole story. He's next.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A
2: talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: Right now, what is on the table is a court case uh, that Republicans uh, have, have advocated for overturn wrote of the uh, Affordable Care Act. That is the case that is on the table in the Supreme Court. So that is where okay. our concern is.
3: Should that be a concern? Let's talk about it with uh, Brian Rotella. Uh, Brian has looked at health care, he knows much about anyone in the country. He's an attorney, founder and CEO of senior partner of Genco Legal. Brian, you heard this debate yesterday. Thanks so much for joining us from Florida. Uh, you heard this debate yesterday uh, on or two days ago, and you hear that if you see Barrett, goodbye Obamacare. Is that the case?
0: No. And and hello, Brian. Uh, Brian, you're I love your historian uh, and the history books that you do. Uh, You'll remember this. Remember the 1964 election with Barry Goldwater and Lyndon Johnson, the little girl playing with the daisies? And then there's the big mushroom cloud that comes up because they were saying that Goldwater was going to drop nuclear bombs on Vietnam. And they said we were all going to go into the darkness. What's going on right now with the Democratic Party, with Speaker Pelosi and what I saw the other night with former Vice President Biden, is the same level of scare tactic about what exactly is this lawsuit – what the Trump administration's position actually is on this lawsuit about Obamacare, the timing of it, and ultimately what the policy fallout will be.
3: Uh, But we don't know how she's going to rule. And we know Obamacare is a bad plan. We know without the mandate, it no longer has financing because people aren't forced to buy it. So what's left of it needs to, what do you think will be left when they're done?
0: Well, that's, and that's uh, getting back to the beginning of it, Brian. What's actually going on, so everyone in the audience understands, November 10th, there's an oral argument in front of the Supreme Court. And the Democrats are saying, well, if you've got Judge Barrett, now you've got your ability to rip up Obamacare. Because the lawsuit that was brought by a bunch of states and then two plaintiffs who said they had to pay the individual mandate, they're saying tear up all of Obamacare. The Trump administration's position actually is, yeah, we think it's unconstitutional now, that individual mandate, because remember the tax law that set it at zero? But while we think the law then should be unconstitutional, we only think it should allow for a remedy for the folks that were injured and how they were injured. That means these two plaintiffs in Texas— whether they had to pay the penalty or not. Brian, that's the Trump administration's position and the DOJ's position in the lawsuit that's going to be heard on November 10th. They're not even arguing about the pre-existing conditions, which is why this is completely fake news. What I really think was going to happen, and I think Judge Barrett's going to do this, and more importantly, Judge Kavanaugh, they're believers in severability, which is a fancy legal term for let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what they look at is congressional intent. When that tax bill came up, yes, they set the individual mandate to zero, but there was nothing there about repealing all of Obamacare. So I am almost 100 percent confident, and every other lawyer like me, that when this gets heard on November 10th, and by the way, we will not see a decision, in my opinion, till June of 2021, the decision is going to be, yeah, it's now unconstitutional because there's no longer a tax, and that's how it became constitutional But let's not throw out all the other stuff that people like, like pre-existing condition protections, like kids being on their parents' insurance to age 26. Let's let that be dealt with by the legislature. That's
3: what's going to happen. This
0: is a complete nuclear bomb, the Daisy commercial tactic that the Democrats are doing.
3: But the one thing Republicans haven't helped themselves, where's their plan?
0: Well, that's right. But here's the other. Where all of the white noise, that, that, and especially the other night in the debate, what people are missing— this president and this administration has done, in my opinion, two of the most significant things for healthcare already. He didn't bring it up the other night. One, his Opioid Relief Act. What was the major crisis when we came into this administration that was set by the prior administration? You had hundreds of thousands of people dying of opiate abuse. Now in this country, under that act, doctors have to be extremely careful on how they prescribe opiate medication. Ask anyone out in the audience who's had a surgery or something, you can only get controlled substances for three days for acute pain seven days for chronic pain without a refill. The other thing that happened during COVID, which was an incredibly quick pivot by this administration is we took down all of these old arcane laws about telehealth. So now you could see your doctor via FaceTime. What's that do? Doctors don't have to put all this overhead into their practices. It's gonna drive costs down. These are free market solutions that are already in place by the Trump administration But they're getting lost in all of this noise about pre-existing conditions. And one last statistic on that, Brian, pre-existing conditions as far as people who actually buy insurance on the market, not Medicare, not Medicaid, and not through their employer in this country. You know what the percentage is? 6% of the American population. That's the percentage of people who buy it on the market and don't get it through those other places where there are protections for preexistings, regardless of the ACA.
3: And, Brian, the other thing I heard is this administration has helped bring the cost down with Obamacare.
0: <laughs> That's the funny thing. Everyone said when you take this individual mandate out, which was supposed to drive all these people into the, into the market, that, oh, my God, the, the cost would explode. There's actually statistics out there that we've, at, we've increased, we've gone up in the um, or we've gone down in the uninsured in this country and that we've actually lowered costs with the individual mandate being out. Why? For some of these other things that I've been talking about. And again, the Trump administration, and it's not been articulated in my opinion well, and it should be, has done so much with especially Seema Verna, the head of Centers of Medicare and Medicaid, to drive costs down, including this favored nation um, item that the president brought up the other night, Where now all of a sudden, folks out there on Medicare, their drug prices are going to be tied to the lowest price in Canada or over in Europe, not to some price that's just arbitrarily set here in the United States, much higher than it would be in those other countries.
3: Very interesting. Brian, thanks so much for the clarification. Appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, Brian.
3: Brian Rotella, great, great insight. Michelle, listening in Georgia. Michelle. Hello. Michelle, what's on your mind? You're over in Georgia.
13: Yes, hi, Brian. Hi. Um, I just wanted to um, talk about the president denouncing white supremacy, and he's done so on several occasions. He um, was in Atlanta, I believe it was last week, and he told the Black Voices for Trump that he was going to make the KK and Antifa a terrorist organization. And he has also said that racism is evil, and those who cause violence in the name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything gotcha. we hold dear.
3: Absolutely. And that's a good point. And we know he's not a racist. We know he's not a sexist. We know he's not a misogynist. He just has to say it. Just make things easy on the supporters, people down ballot. Because you don't want to be uh, Tom Tillis working in Charlotte trying to convince people in the city that uh, you deserve their support and then have to answer questions about the president and is he a racist because he hasn't clarified his statement. So just uh, hopefully Kaylee McEnany is doing it right now, although the, I think the president's got to do it himself. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Lynn Chaney. My privilege to bring her new book to the forefront, The Virginia Dynasty, Four Presidents and the Creation of the American Nation. Can you imagine that? A pro-American book in America.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: I am going to be positive tonight.
5: I'm not going to indulge in negative personal attacks. I am
1: delighted to be here tonight with you, Joe.
5: And I, too, uh, want to avoid any personal attacks. Uh, I promise uh, not to bring up your singing. <laughs> so I, pro- I, uh... I
8: promise not to sing. Okay. <laughs> Good.
3: Those were the days. And we might have a collegial vice presidential debate, I doubt it, but it will be uh, much less contentious than the presidential candidates today. But that was Vice President Dick Cheney uh, debating with Joe Lieberman, who was running with Al Gore, uh, to be the next president. We know about the what happened after. It was basically uh, f- came down to Florida, 500 votes, and George W. Bush would win. And um, one of the most powerful vice presidents, Dick Cheney, would take over. That is a story that Lynn Cheney knows well. Uh, she was the second lady for eight years and joins us now because she's got a brand-new book, and it's excellent. It's called... Uh, the Virginia Dynasty: Four Presidents and the Creation of the American Nation. Uh, uh, Miss Cheney, welcome back.
12: Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate your praise of my book. Since you are such a good historian, I, I love your books.
3: Well, th- thank you so much. I just, I just, I love the topics you take, and I don't think anyone's ever bracketed these four of the the first four, the first five, four from Virginia. But before I actually talk about this, which I can't wait to do. Can we talk about okay. your husband's approach and then the class of Joe Lieberman, too, and the class of George W. Bush? I never really got a chance to meet uh, Al Gore, but he could have been a real sore loser and made this a lot harder. He didn't. He knew how to lose. No. And he also knew how to fight. I he had, know, to, he had was... to take back a concession. So could you bring us back to 2000? Know, and
12: that was one of the strangest evenings ever when, yeah. uh, you know, we're celebrating and then the president to be, uh, George W. Bush, uh, came into the room and announced that Al Gore had just withdrawn his concession. What what an amazing scene that was. But you're right. In the end, after the uh, court meter's decision, Al Gore went along. He participated in a peaceful transition of power.
3: Do you worry about our process with four or five states deciding uh, this summer to mail everybody a ballot, now a total of 10 Maybe for the first time without requesting those ballots? Do you worry about the voter rolls and the locations, the names, the renters, the new owners, and et cetera?
12: It is a problem. And uh, the unsolicited ballots being sent out, that, that's a problem. Uh, I do believe that uh, these are not the worst problems we faced and that we will come through.
3: Overall, uh, what did you think of the debate on Tuesday? It was awful.
12: I uh, I thought to myself, if the founders had seen this, they would shake their heads and wonder what had become of us.
3: But although they were brutal back then, I mean, uh, there was some anger, uh, there was some heated exchanges. I mean, uh, between the founding fathers, right?
12: Oh, for sure and i I detail many of those in my book because it's so interesting to understand the, the conflicts between them uh, they all ended up uh, i don't really not liking Washington at all the Lager later tree did um they thought he wanted to turn the country back into a a royal kingdom uh, that he saw himself as a potential king, and there were things in washington's uh uh, demeanor and policies that uh, justified such an interpretation, but they broke away from him. Uh, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe did uh, started a separate political party, and uh, thus was created a rift that uh, that never healed. So you're absolutely right. These were times of uh, of great contention.
3: So let's bring back to the early days and, and the ones that not only fought but tried to stand America up. And it's George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, all from a small area of Virginia. Why was Virginia the place such a fertile ground for such great minds?
12: Well, one thing was the uh, really great education system that Virginia had for the elite. Of course, not for everyone, but um, Jefferson, Madison and Monroe all went to uh, very uh, prestigious in those days schools taught by students of the Scottish Enlightenment. There was somehow a a great immigration of um, professors from the University of Edinburgh to Virginia. And so these young men learned about uh, reason and uh, the way that reason could improve the human lot the way that superstition had long um, made it worse. Uh, They learned to value the ideals of liberty and justice and equality that uh, in the world of the Scottish Enlightenment were were seen to be innate in people, nothing that uh, you could ever take away from them. So that education was crucial. Washington, meanwhile, who was a reader, though we don't pay attention to this much, uh, taught himself about the Enlightenment, and it was he— who said one of the things I love in the first of the book that uh, uh, we were so fortunate that we had been founded in an age when uh, people knew more about uh, the human spirit uh, rather than in an, a dark age where um, and no one was uh, aware of human potential. So he was well versed too.
3: So let's talk about how they got along. Uh, Madison Uh, Madison, of course, uh, he's president of the War of 1812, and Washington burns down. It looks like we bit off more than we can chew. Jefferson was still a major figure at that time. Could you describe the relationship between those two?
12: Um, I don't think Madison looked back to uh, Jefferson for uh, advice uh, very much. Um, He had been caught uh, as Jefferson's secretary of state in an embargo that Jefferson, while president— just stubbornly stuck with until he he nearly uh, broke the nation. He uh, nearly caused uh, New England uh, to revolt because the embargo totally ruined the uh, shipping and the fishing industries. So I think by that time, Madison uh, was was pretty much moving forward on his own.
3: So Madison comes in and he's president. Him and uh, James Monroe had a bit of a fracture for a while, correct?
12: Uh, You know, Monroe... Monroe was a striver, and he knew that he could not match Jefferson and Madison in their um, uh, broad intellectual achievements. But he was always striving, trying to be part of the relationship, uh, trying to be in there as an equal. And, you know, Madison made some subtle jokes about it. They, M- Monroe was not so much part of the gang, uh, and he wasn't uh, as uh, well-read as the others. It turned out, though, that after serving in so many high offices and after being Madison's uh, Secretary of War and Secretary of State, that he was a pretty good president. Uh, it just shows, I think, that all sorts of uh, uh, different personalities and uh, uh, different kinds of intellectual approaches to the world can, uh, can all culminate in uh, a presidency with uh, – Uh, along with good temper and good character.
3: So we were always told that Washington was treated like royalty. And and I'll just paraphrase. I guess when uh, Hamilton asked him, you know, why are you leaving? And he said, if I was to stay around, half the country would love me and half the country would hate me. He knew party politics was coming into the fray. Was he the the only one that could have launched this country, you think, uniquely qualified, especially after winning the war?
12: I believe so. I think without him there would not have been a Constitutional Convention. Um, You know, Madison just spent an enormous amount of effort uh, trying to convince him uh, to come to the convention. I think he finally did by pointing out to Washington how many other uh, thoughtful patriots would be there. But if Washington hadn't come, I don't think that the convention would have happened. And if the convention hadn't happened, we would have been left with the Articles of Confederation which were already uh, coming apart, leading into a nation of uh, 13 separate entities rather than uh, a, a single country.
3: You know, watch it. do wanted to retire. I'm going to hang out at Mount Vernon, talk about the war, take in visitors. But he saw the war that he fought so much for, the whole country was falling apart. It wasn't working. I guess he felt as though we had no choice. Next thing you know, he's president of the United States and he's located uh, in New York and then he would be teamed with uh, John Adams. John Adams would become the second president. What happened to the Adams-Jefferson relationship?
12: Oh, that's an an interesting story. There's one you should write about, or maybe I will. No, no, no. Um, It uh, was okay in the beginning. Um, Jefferson wrote a very nice letter to Adams when he became Adams vice president when that election happened. Madison actually thought it was too nice and urged Jefferson not to send it, which he did not. Um, So the relationship was maybe a little frosty in the beginning. And then it became very hostile, very hostile. Um, Adams supported, signed uh, a bill that would keep people from criticizing government officials. It's called the Sedition Act. And if you said something mean about person X, you could go to jail for saying it. Uh, I think Washington was reacting to the terrible press he had. Adams was reacting to uh, worry about a war with the French. But they passed this act, and Jefferson and Madison were just completely appalled, just completely appalled, and tried as best they could to uh, argue against the act without, without making themselves liable for imprisonment was a a terrible time, and that was a terrible idea. So the relationship with Jefferson was very strained. Late in life, um, Adams wrote to Jefferson at the suggestion of a friend of both of theirs. And they began a remarkable correspondence in which Adams said they would try to explain themselves to one another. You know, it wasn't fuzzy. It wasn't uh, sugar-coated. They directed... uh, their best arguments at at one another, but it is fascinating, and it does show them turning uh, back to one another at the end of their lives. And of course, they died on the same day, um, right. which people around the country a uh, July fourth. Thank you. You're going to remind me that people around the country thought was uh, pretended uh, pretended providence's eye on us.
3: So so Lynn Cheney with us. Her book is now out. It's called The Virginia Dynasty. So Lynn, obviously, we're still dealing with one aspect of uh, early America, and that's the existence of slaves. How could – this is what I get so often – is how could people so bright somehow rationalize doing something so horrible, and that is the use of slaves?
12: Well, I don't think they did rationalize it. Um, they were slaveholders. Uh, they held uh, hundreds of people in bondage. But they couldn't figure out a way out. Um, Madison tried when he was a young man to find another way to live. It was He hoped to finance it through land speculation. That didn't work out. Jefferson called slavery a sin against God. They hated slavery, but they couldn't find a way to the total emancipation that uh, the justice uh, required. And so there was this other, they were bifurcated. There was a contradiction. Um, there was all of this learning about the Enlightenment that that was going to change uh, the way people thought and lived. There was also the opportunity that they faced, and what an amazing thing this must have been, to build a new country, and they could build it based on those ideals. So you see, it, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't hypocrisy. It was simply they, they found themselves trammeled in this net on the one side. I think those are Gary Wills' words, trammeled in a net. And on the other side, um, they so much wanted to build this new nation, and so they did.
3: You also write that they inspired uh, Lincoln and, du- and Frederick Douglass to make the country a more better union, You're combining forces, this escaped slave that became an international star, Frederick Douglass, and Abraham Lincoln, came from the most meager means to becoming the, uh, the number one man in America in a country that was just coming apart. They were able to put it back together.
12: They were, and they thought that the crucial, uh, crucial how shall I say, thought Um, behind building a a country that was unified uh, was the recognition of those ideals I was talking about, and that those ideals, freedom, justice, equality, they were also the strongest weapon against slavery. You know, in a sense, the Virginians, by creating the Declaration and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, in a sense, they, how shall I say, undermined and finally destroyed the society of slavery in which they lived.
3: Fascinating. And the other thing, uh, Lynn, which you you, uh, later describe, is that it wasn't that the Constitution needed to be changed. Yes, amendments had to be added. We had to live up to our Constitution, and that's what got better. That's what Frederick Douglass would come around to the notion, correct?
12: Exactly. If we would – there was not a word that – Valorize slavery, that encourage slavery, that bless it—not a word in the Constitution. And so Frederick Douglass said, and pointed that out, and he also pointed out if we would just live according to the words of the preamble, not only would slavery um, be abolished, but all sorts of other matter uh, matters that kept us from being as fine a nation as we should be.
3: Gotcha. Last question: How proud are you of your daughter Liz? I know both daughters, but about what she's done in politics. Yeah, I mean,
12: Liz is a great one. She's got a natural uh, political instinct. And um, perhaps one of her greatest attributes is that she's the mother of five of
3: my grandchildren.
12: And Mary, my uh, second daughter, is the mother of the other two. <laughs> so I, I am much blessed.
3: Absolutely. And how's your husband?
12: great he uh check i'm i've been uh, on the phone a lot and he checks on me every once in a while and maybe brings me coffee so
3: he's doing well nice that new heart's working well and that's great to hear uh lynn cheney you've done a great thing for the country you 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 made us remember what makes us so uh special uh the virginia dynasty the name of the brand new book four presidents and the creation of the american nation thanks so much hey thank you all right. I'll talk to you soon one 408 7669 back to finish things up in just a moment
2: listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before you're with Brian Kilmeade the more you listen the more you'll know it's Brian Kilmeade
9: stop the hammering
2: stop the hammering out there who's got a hammer where is it where's the hammer is it on the—go up on the other floor. Somebody go up there and stop the hammering. Stop the hammering. I'll go down to the god d- floor myself and stop it. Keep the god d- commercial
9: break going.
3: That is Lawrence O'Donnell. That is one way to handle when people start using a hammer while you're on the air— uh, I've chose to ignore it. Oh,
10: and the other way is how you've been handling it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've been texting people hoping to stop the hammering, but I've chosen not to scream at people. Uh, I do find it amazing that we're at a TV radio studio and people were hammering. And when I went to D.C. three weeks ago, do you remember they were working on Upstairs? That's right, uh, we on at TV. The yeah. yeah, you could hear the whole thing. I'm saying to myself, is this for real? Do they know we're on television? You
10: know, construction, TV radio studios, they go hand in hand.
3: Right. uh, Hey, uh, let's go to Robert, W.N.I.S. in Norfolk, Virginia. Robert. Hi there.
5: I'm a Trump supporter. Um, I'm going to vote for him again, but he's he's unfit for office. It drives me up a wall that he can't put forth a cogent sentence to save his life. I know why he doesn't get together with people like you and the other radio folks whose main job is communication. He could have taken any opportunity to enumerate all the things. I the know, state, Robert, uh,
3: it does, but that, that's the, thing, the reason why he packs audiences. He reminds you of everyday Americans, even though he was born a millionaire. Uh, Robert, thanks so much in a very military area. This is a Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.